And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Today on Church of the Week, Vertical Church of San Jose. As the name implies, they're headed in an upward or heavenly trajectory, but there's also a lot of horizontal ministry taking place as well. Joining us is Pastor Dr. Mike Thorburn. He, of course, a immigrant to the United States from Canada. He uh, came to the Bay Area with his wife Dawn and three children. Pastor Mike has a Doctor of Biblical Studies degree from Master's International Divinity School, a Master of Theological Studies degree from Heritage Theological Seminary, a Bachelor of Theology degree from London Baptist Bible College, and uh, just to make sure that he's well-rounded, he has an Environmental Chemistry degree in Air, Water, Resources, Field Technology. And Pastor Mike, great to have you join us on this edition of Church of the Week. Thanks, and we may as well get out of the way that I'm just finishing a second doctoral degree from the Master's Seminary in Los Angeles in expository preaching, just because I didn't have enough to do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a, f- a fan of education, and that's fantastic. And, and you know, I think in, in so many ways that speaks to a sense of that we're, we should always be growing and learning and absorbing and, and taking in more. And, and, you know, I think that's not only true educationally, but I think that's also true relationally speaking, especially as it comes to a study in God's Word and getting to know Him more by spending more time with Him, would you think? Oh, I agree completely. In fact, there's so many good Christian colleges and universities around. My, my theory was, I like to read, so why not take courses and get credit for that reading? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and of course, that, that goes right to the heart of our conversation today. And I want to spend a little time talking, of course, about your ministry there at Vertical Church in San Jose. But as we head into that, I want to first begin by spending some time giving our listeners an opportunity to know a bit more about you. I alluded to the fact that um, you and your spouse um, are transplants from Canada. Why does somebody leave a beautiful place like Canada to come to San Jose? That's a great question. I, I came to Christ in university and my upbringing was totally not Christian, and we actually moved around a lot as a child. In fact, my wife and I were just moving into another home in the next few weeks. This will be like my 40th move uh, since, you know, my childhood, and so we've always had a kind of a nomadic lifestyle, and we like to move. So we were actually on an island in northern Nova Scotia for seven years before we came to California. Cape Breton Island is probably one of the most unreached English-speaking parts of North America, 0.5% Christian. And we were there for for seven years and had a heart uh, for evangelism. And when the opportunity came with the Christian Missionary Alliance to redevelop a dying church here in San Jose, uh, we... We just said, why not? If this is where the Lord wants us to go, that's where we're going to go. And so that's how we ended up in San Jose, was a call to come and plant. Um, And it was actually a redevelopment of a dying church. Fascinating. And I love the focus of the sense of not only reinstilling life into an existing church that's struggling, but but also perhaps the broader perspective of, of evangelism and the real sense of being on the mission field. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people in the United States thinks that when we speak of the mission field today, we're speaking of going to some far-flung place where they don't speak any English. We need to have a, a passport and uh, learn a whole new culture. But one of the biggest, perhaps most challenging mission fields today is not just here in the United States, but in specific here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, and that is absolutely right. Here's what's interesting. Moving from Canada... The Bay Area is the most Christian place we've ever lived. And most people hear that. And what's your response to that, Craig? My response to that is, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So 
So for us, we can't believe how many Christians there are in the Bay Area. However, while we meet a lot of Christians and there are a lot of churches, we can become very insulated to the simple fact that we are surrounded by millions of unreached people. And so this really is uh, the world coming to the Bay Area with the opportunity, if we're willing, to hear Christ. A big part of your passion, undoubtedly, when it comes to evangelism and reaching people for Christ, uh, is your background with Youth for Christ. And and I'm curious how you got involved in that organization. Um, I came to Christ in my first year of university back in 1980, and one year later, uh, someone my age was brought by his sister to the church that I was attending, and his name was Daniel. And uh, my son's name is Daniel. So I named my son after my friend Daniel. So so this Daniel started coming to church, and he was just as lost as I was a year before, but he came to Christ and was wonderfully saved and started working full-time with Youth for Christ. And he needed helpers. And so I started helping him. So I started out with a program called Lifeline, and that was a one-on-one mentoring program. If you're, Are you aware of Big Brothers? Oh, yes. So, so think of a program run by Youth for Christ called Lifeline that was like a, a Christian version of Big Brothers, Big Sisters. So I started out as a volunteer with Lifeline, and I had a, uh, a, young, a young man, that single mom, and she wanted a mentor. And so I started spending time with this young man and doing things with him. And, and I love sports, and I like doing all kinds of things. And then when Daniel came to Christ and then went to Youth for Christ, he started working on a high school campus with high school students, and so I became a volunteer there. And I actually was accepted, after I finished a college, I actually was accepted full-time with Youth for Christ to work on a high school campus, but I didn't. God obviously had plans, though, for you to go into full-time ministry. How did that pivot um, from your, your early studies um, in environmental chemistry um, eventually lead you into studying for full-time ministry? Well, what happened was I, I'd come to Christ. I, I have this degree in environmental chemistry. I, was, I started working as a production supervisor with 3M Canada, and I looked at ministry— and I said, I, I love to share my faith. Uh, I love the Bible, even though I didn't grow up in church, even though I didn't know the Bible. And so I was accepted with Youth for Christ, but it was during that process that I realized I, I really don't know the Bible. I really don't know what I should know. And that actually led me to say no to Youth for Christ and to go to Bible college. And that's so I entered Bible college in 1984 with the purpose of being discipled and growing in my faith. Wow, I love that, and that that sense of dedication, as we kind of alluded to earlier, of studying and growth, and, uh, you know, one of the big challenges, I think, that oftentimes faces the church today is that we we lack for study. Scripture exhorts us to study to show ourselves approved, and yet we sometimes fall short of that, and along with it, I think sometimes the the sense that, well, if we just have a Bible in the house, we'll we'll somehow absorb uh, through osmosis, as opposed to really, in in a true discipleship fashion, burying our head in the book, so to speak, meaning studying God's Word. And and maybe one of the biggest challenges that we're facing in the church today is this sense of lack of study, or or maybe better put, biblical illiteracy. Uh, and, and I agree. I, I really think that if we were to talk concerning 
obstacles to spiritual growth, I would say that we have, it's, it's like being surrounded. It's like being in a, in a boat adrift in the ocean. Water, water everywhere, but there's not a drop that we can drink. Mm. And in many ways, we're surrounded by so much, uh, so much convenience, uh, so much in the way of Christian materials. But what we're lacking are ways that, that we can help people to actually learn for themselves how to study and how to, how to diligently get into the Word. Uh, there's a children's program called AWANA. Have you ever heard oh, of it? Absolutely. Now, most people don't know what AWANA stands for. AWANA stands for that verse. You were referring to a verse a minute ago from, from Timothy. AWANA stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. And the whole passage that Paul is instructing Timothy in is this idea of if you're a worker and you have a toolbox, you need to understand how to use the tools that are in that toolbox. I mean, a surgeon could show up, if you're planning to have surgery, the surgeon could show up with a scalpel, or he could show up with a chainsaw. Which one would you like him to use? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think the scalpel would be first on my list. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they they both will do the job, kind of. And uh, so a lot of believers, I think, have have been kind of spoon-fed, and, and I don't really always think that's their fault. I think that there need to be opportunities. Like, I, for me personally, I began to see growth when I was challenged to have to teach rather than sit and soak. Uh, we have a saying that sitting, soaking saints like simply sour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and if you're, if you're not actually involved in a small group studying the Bible, if you're not being challenged to maybe teach a class or to, to lead some others, you may fall into the category of being a sitting, soaking saint, and you won't grow the way you should grow. Today on Church of the Week, Vertical Church of San Jose. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Today on Church of the Week, Vertical Church of San Jose. Joining us is Pastor Dr. Mike Thorburn. And maybe part of the proof positive of what you're saying is some of the challenges that the first the church is facing today in in the sense that, you know, we, we've seen a decrease in interest in church attendance. Young people, by the time they reach the age majority, decide to kind of wander off on their own. Sometimes they come back to the faith of their fathers, but on an increasing basis, they're not really doing that. And I wonder how much to the heart of what you're saying pastor is 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 directly responsible in the sense that a lot of christians today they know jesus but but it's like friends on facebook i've got a, a, a couple of friends that have hundreds of people that follow them on facebook but if you dig down and ask them well how many of these people do you really know you find out they're really just acquaintances maybe that's part of the problem of the challenge today with the church that for a lot of believers they know jesus but they know him as an acquaintance they don't really know him intimately, deeply, personally, in, in such a fashion as to be able to live out a Christian faith and, and walk, the, walk the life, walk the talk, as they say, to, to, to witness to those around us that says, wow, there's something different about this person. Boy, you talk about Jesus like you know him personally, but sadly, a lot of believers just talk about Jesus as he's a distant acquaintance. You think that's true? Well, I, I, I agree. So if I, have, if I have three passions, it's how to reach unchurched secular men, the second would be, um, why is there such a huge dropout of college-age children from the church? And the third would be helping people understand that the most predominant unbiblical form of evangelicalism in the Bay Area is what we call moralistic therapeutic deism. And it's that third one that hits on exactly what you just said. And I'd love to explain that if you want me to. Yes, please do. 
So we understand that salvation is by faith alone. It's by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, that is salvation, that, that we believe that Christ and the gospel must be clearly presented in a propositional way. That, that I have to say, I have to say, Craig, um, I'm your friend, I love you in the Lord, but you need to make a decision. Um, I've told you about Christ, I've told you that he's, he loves you, he's died for you, that you need to come in faith and, and receive him as your Savior. But it's propositional in the sense that you then need to make a decision. And, and that's a quote from one of Chuck Colson's books, that the gospel is propositional. It's not just, people don't just catch it. It needs to be shared with people. Now, now when that happens, though, we need to understand that, that God does a work of grace in a person's heart. However, people also reject that message. In our desire to be attractional, in our desire to attract people into our churches, we have kind of changed the message. And what we've done is we've created a message that is moralistic. In other words, I will teach you to be good. Therapeutic, from the pulpit, I will teach you to be happy. But it's also a form of deism, in that deism is where you believe in God, but you don't have a personal intimate, and especially a lordship relationship with God. You, you simply keep God at a distance. It's almost as if um, God is winding up the clock, setting it on the, the fireplace mantle, and then God walks away. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a personal Savior who desires to be personally involved in your life, and then there is an expectation of personal accountability, because he's not just Savior, he's also Lord and Master. So in a lot of pulpits, what we're seeing is not the, the verse-by-verse teaching of the Bible in a way that explains the way the Bible was meant to be understood. What there is is more of a, a textual reading or a topical reading of the Bible where it's more felt need, uh, let me give you something to pump you up for a few days until next week. And so this therapeutic moralistic deism is simply a way to get people to feel good about themselves, but it doesn't reach the true sinful heart and convert a person. And so we have churches full of people who are religious, but they're missing heaven because while they know things, they don't truly believe those things. Um, that's a quote. Did you ever hear the quote from Dwight Moody that it's possible to miss heaven by 18 inches? Yes, the distance from the head to the heart. Absolutely. From the head to the heart. Yeah. And so what we're doing is, 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 and I would change that, that we're now, rather than preaching intellectually to people, we're speaking emotionally to people, that, that we might be arousing the emotions of people, but we're not truly seeing what, is, what, what John Whitfield would say is a true born-again experience. Uh, a woman once came up to John Whitfield and said, why do you keep saying you must be born again? Every sermon that you preach, you say you must be born again. And Whitfield looked at the woman and said, my friend, it's because you must be born again. So what we're seeing are people who know, but they've never truly been regenerated. They've never truly been born again. They've never truly been transformed by the Spirit. And it's that work of the Spirit that every person needs to understand is absolutely necessary for conversion. And, you know, I would suspect perhaps, Pastor, part of this 
is due in large part to this paradigm shift that we've seen, certainly in a lot of America's churches today, where preaching sin, salvation, sanctification, just kind of getting to the heart of the whole matter of the sin that separates us from God, our need for salvation, and what that discipleship process that, that then begins, that ultimately uh, starts that, that process of, of sanctification, that we've kind of shied away from that, almost as if uh, there might be some that say, well, you know, we don't want to get too deep, too heavy, because we might chase some people off. Do you think that's part of the problem, that we're, we're more concerned about the numbers on Sunday morning than the truth and the poignancy of the message being preached? Well, I can only speak from my personal experience. I, I don't want to you know, cast aspersions or throw stones at other people. But I know that there is a desire, I think, in the heart of every young man uh, to be liked. I think every every man who stands in the pulpit does not want to fail. And you want people to come, and you want people, and I, I think that we, we talk about relational evangelism, that if I can bring people into my sphere of influence, while at first they may be reluctant to the gospel, once they get to know me, and once they start to see how other people are res- are responding, maybe they'll respond. And and I would say that that's kind of a cart before the horse thing, because we need to understand that in Scripture, salvation is a work of God. It's what we would call monergistic, that God and God alone, the Holy Spirit alone, is able to open the heart. And so we are not we are not born again because of our faith. Romans eight would would tell us. For example, we are born again because we've been given that faith by the Spirit. And so the faith we have is given to us. And this is really the essence of John chapter 3. Uh, that's why it's the, the translation actually for the Greek word anothen is, is more, more better understood, born from above. Uh, there's nothing on earth you can do to gain your salvation. It is a work from above that the Spirit does to open our eyes to our sinfulness and our need for Christ. And I think that if you're in a pulpit and you're trying to awaken something, you need to understand that, that Ephesians 2 says that we are spiritually dead. And what is a good man dead for, good for? Um, Craig, what's a, what's a dead man good for? Uh, be, Absolutely. Nothing. Being buried, that's about it. That's it. And see, so it is a work of the Spirit that makes us spiritually alive. And so the Spirit regenerates and then gives us the faith that we might then be illuminated, that we might understand our condition, and then by faith. Today on Church of the Week, Vertical Church of San Jose. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Pastor Dr. Mike Thorburn. He is teaching pastor at the Vertical Church in San Jose. And Now, it's sanctification, though, while, while salvation is a work of God, it's monergistic. Sanctification, growing in Christ, is what we call synergistic. That it's, it's a cooperative work between the Spirit and the believer. That together, in obedience, we walk. This is what we mean by walking with the Spirit, living in the Spirit. That, that we must yield to the Spirit. It's a Romans 12 thing, that present yourself as a living sacrifice. Paul says, he uses the word labor, which means to work to the point of complete exhaustion, as he describes his life. So, a lot of people, like the phrase, let go and let God, absolutely works when it comes to salvation, but it is not biblical in any way when it comes to sanctification. 
In fact, um, are you aware of, uh, say, Romans 8, where it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness? Yes. Mm -hmm. Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That word help, it it actually is a very interesting word because it it uses an adjective. It's built around a word that means to call. So the Spirit comes when we receive Christ. But then it has a little prefix that means alongside of, but then it has another prefix added onto it. It's kind of like the word supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It just goes on and on. It's all one word. Um, but the word that it also has means opposite. And so, have you ever assembled anything from Ikea? <laughs> yes. And normally there are many parts left over. <laughs> There are many, yes, and and the big thing is, is that like, you know, like at six o'clock, you finish dinner, and you say to your wife, I'm going to put this together, and when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be completely done, it'll be beautiful, and I'll be so proud of myself. Well, you start working on it, and suddenly it's like one o'clock in the morning, and you get to the last page of the instructions, and what does it say? With the help of someone else, do the, and you suddenly realize, I'm all alone, and I can't do this. I'm not supposed to do this by myself. That word help means that we don't sit back and watch the Spirit do stuff for us. The Spirit doesn't sit and watch us do it by ourselves. It carries the idea that if you and I were to, were to lift a very heavy table together, I would be at one end, and you would help me by being opposite of me. Does that make sense? It absolutely does, and I think demonstrative of the sense that that as the Holy Spirit is working in our life, as we're maturing in our faith in Christ, God is pouring truth into us as we're studying the Word and and absorbing that like a sponge, and then, of course, we need to then take that information and, and, and engage in that practical application, so that really becomes a partnership, doesn't it? It does. And and if when you truly begin to understand who the Spirit is, that He was the constant companion of the Lord Jesus from the moment of His conception right through to His through His crucifixion, while the Father turned His face away, the Spirit was there with Jesus the whole time, strengthening Him. And then, when you remember how Jesus ascended in a cloud in Acts chapter 1? Mm-hmm. That is that is Old Testament language for the Spirit for the for the for the glory of God. The Spirit even accompanied Jesus as He was ascending into heaven, and the same Spirit who was the constant companion and supporter and comforter and help of Jesus is the same Spirit we have. We don't have a different Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit who wants to come alongside and help us. He doesn't abandon us, but He also doesn't do it all for us. But he allows, he works with us that we might become like Christ. And that's really what Romans 8.28 is saying, that all things work together for good, for those who love God, to those who are being transformed into the image of Christ. I'm struck by the fact, Pastor, that much of what you've just shared really takes us back to the, the, the fundamentals of the faith, or the five solas. You, you referred to a couple of them there a few moments ago. And, and maybe one of the challenges that's facing the church today in, in a broader sense is that our understanding of the basics um, is really lacking. Part of it has to do with the approach of what we hear from some pulpits. Part of it has to do, I think, with just man's sinful nature and that if we can find a, uh, an escape route, a shortcut, some way of, of <laughs> accomplishing what we'd like to do without having to uh, break a sweat, we, we tend to kind of head in that direction. I suppose that's just uh, human nature. But I, I'm, I'm 
wondering if ultimately one of the biggest challenges facing the church today is the necessity to be able to either return to a better understanding of the five solas, or maybe for a lot of us, learning what they are in the first place. Uh, that's that's an interesting perspective, and 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 I guess like if, when we talk about this, that that the term sola, because we're using Latin terms, and I I, I pretend to use English words. In fact, what's interesting in biblical counseling, I, I like to help people use only biblical words. But when we talk about the solas, we talk about scripture alone. We talk about faith alone. We talk about grace alone, Christ alone. Uh, we talk about by the Spirit alone. That, that what we're saying is that we need to be very careful that we're not hearing a message that says that Christ is not the only way of salvation, that Scripture is, is not the only truth of God. Uh, someone um, called me this morning and said, I've got a relative talking about this thing in the brain called the God Center, that every person has a, has a piece of God in their mind. And I said, well, that's just unfortunately not shown to be true in Scripture. And have you ever heard of this thing before called the God Center? Yeah, yeah, and it it, it seems to have a lot of new agey undertones to it. Uh, it has, a, it it does. Now, in the same way, there are some things creeping in to the church today, to the Christian church, where you have, you know, where where you are not completely sinful, you are not spiritually dead, that you can do it if you want to do it. Um, there, so. I guess, I, I guess, you know, now that you mentioned it, I would completely agree that, that if we were to get back to the fundamentals, uh, I think of Hebrews chapter 5 and 6, where Paul says, you know, I need to teach you the basic truths all over again. And then he goes through and teaches a very clear pattern of these are the, these are the simple things every person should understand. And then he moves into the more mature teaching. Um, it's like a milk and meat thing that Peter talks about Today on Church of the Week, Vertical Church of San Jose. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Pastor Dr. Mike Thorburn. He is teaching pastor at the Vertical Church in San Jose. And uh, Pastor Mike, let's kind of turn a corner here for a moment, if we can, and, and speak specifically to uh, ministry at Vertical Church. Um, I, I was struck by the fact, and it kind of confirmed in our conversation today, but I was struck about the fact that you, you could kind of also be known as the, the un-church. Um, you, you stipulate on your website that the church presents unapologetic teaching, unashamed adoration, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and unconditional love. Maybe you can take a moment and kind of expand upon that and give listeners a sense of what the experience, if they're new to the Bay Area, they're looking for a church home, what kind of experience that they might expect to encounter at the Vertical Church? Well, we chose the name Vertical. Um, Daniel Block, in his book, A Theology of Christian Worship, he just makes this simple little statement. He says, all true worship is essentially vertical that our, our, the focus of our worship should be upward, that we want to worship God, and we want to worship God in His fullness, in His glory, in His greatness, that He and He alone is worthy of our worship. And so out of that came our five vertical values. Uh, first of all, unapologetic preaching. Now, what we mean by that is that the, the Bible is the Word of God, and uh, we'd, you know, we just preach it in a way that this is what God has said. 
Uh, we try not to be um, forceful with people. Um, a lot of people who did not grow up in church have told me that my preaching is like sitting with a good friend in their living room and just talking about what God would have us to do with our lives. And so the Word of God is very real, and we don't we teach verse by verse, we don't jump over sections. Uh, we believe that the Bible teaches that that man is sinful and that we are under condemnation. However, it also equally teaches that God loves us and has a plan for us, and that Christ, as the Savior of the world, uh, wants to redeem people and wants to see people walking in newness of life. So unapologetic preaching is simply the Bible is the Word of God, it and it alone. And so we teach the Bible every Sunday. Unashamed adoration is that we do need to lift high the name of Jesus through worship. That the focus of our worship is not, see, we, my wife once said to me, she said, Mike, sometimes when I visit a church, it's like the only people up on the stage are the beautiful people, the perfect people. And that doesn't really represent the church of God. And so when we talk about unashamed adoration, we're not focused on performance and perfection. We're focused on genuine worship. And so we want to simply lift high. We want our focus to be on the cross. We want to go to the throne on Sunday mornings. And we don't, I wouldn't say that we have any one style of music, except that the music that we sing is Christ exalting and Christ glorifying. Uh, we, we have a beautiful Savior, and we want, you know, the Christian church is a singing church. And so we, we sing. Um, unceasing prayer, I would say that the most important ministry in the church is prayer. But then I'd also say that the most neglected ministry in the church is prayer. And so we want to help people understand that if a home has four walls, um, we want preaching to be one wall, worship to be another wall, prayer to be another wall, and then evangelism to be the, the other wall. Or maybe you could think of them as pillars of a building. Um, because if you pull away one pillar, uh, the building is not as strong as it should be. And so un unafraid witness is simply sharing Christ with others. Um, our goal is to, is to scatter the seed. Our goal is to tell people, um, I think as Bill Hybels once put it uh, years ago, he said, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so then you have unconditional love uh, that we, we, I like people. And we love people. And uh, if you're looking for a church, then you want a church that teaches the Word of God, that wants to disciple your children, um, but also a church that, that will accept you for where you're at and love you. But then we also understand that unconditional love also means that, hey, there are some things that, that Christ is calling us to do. Are you willing to, to do that? And Pastor Mike, if folks would like to find out more information about the Vertical Church, understand you meet for Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m., where can they get more information? Well, you can go to our website, verticalchurchsanjose.org. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our Instagram page. And so if you, if you look for and probably the best way to show up on a Sunday morning. Uh, we, like you said, we meet Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Um, I, I like to joke and say we start at 10 o'clock sharp and then finish at 11 o'clock dull. Because um, I'm the preacher, but <laughs> but uh, but our, our our focus is fellowship. Uh, we want to encourage people. Uh, we are a multicultural, multi generational church. Uh, our big thing is, and, and I'd love to talk about children's ministry 
and why it's important that you not allow your children to basically be shuttered away or taken away into something that only fixates on their age. Could, Could we talk about that? Absolutely. I think you're, you're really getting to the heart of, I think, not only a, a, a greater sense of bonding in community, but I've also always wondered when there's sort of this sudden dismissal in some churches, and I think, you know, shouldn't there be some mentoring taking place here as opposed to, you know, trying to kind of, in, in one sense, and, and, I, and I say this perhaps with the want of choosing a better word, but almost as if we kind of dumb things down uh, based on the age group. I'll tell you a story. Um, A few years ago, I had a a single mom call me. She said, I have a son in eighth grade, and I was wondering what your church has for eighth grade boys. And I said, well, we actually don't break it down. Uh, We have a men's group in our church, and your son would be in our men's group. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, we have elementary school boys. We have middle school boys, high school boys, college boys, um, you know, single adults. Uh, we have older men, and we will do. We often do stuff together. And and she goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, we'll have a men's breakfast, and your son would be part of our men's breakfast." And she goes, "Well, I only want him hanging around with boys his age." And I said, "Well, I don't argue with people, but I said, but well, let me just let me ask you." At what age do boys start to experiment with pornography? At what age do they start to be introduced to things on YouTube and computers? At what age do they maybe find out about, you know, drugs and alcohol and different things like that? It's when they're in middle school, and now it's actually getting younger. It's probably more fourth grade and fifth grade. But I said, the reason we do men's ministry this way is we want your boy to understand that he's a man. And an eight, a boy in eighth grade is, a, is at 13 is a man. He's becoming a man. And we want him to be around boys his age, but also boys a little bit older, but also men who will say to him, you're a man, we like you, you're part of our group. To be part of our group, you don't have to drink, you don't have to do drugs, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pretend to be what you know you shouldn't be. And, and it's that mentoring that's, that more, more is caught than taught. Uh, it's the same with reaching unchurched secular men, that, that more is caught than taught with men. And, and we, sometimes I think we, we think of church as sit and soak, but it's not. Uh, sometimes it's as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And so when we do children's ministry, we have children's ministry from kindergarten down and then we have um, another Bible teaching class during the sermon that's up to fifth or sixth grade. But we give parents the opportunity that if they want, their children can sit through the main service. But especially once children get to middle school, we want them to understand that they, they're, not, they're not the youth department. They are the church. And so we don't have a separate middle school program. And then we don't have the high school students leave. And then we don't have the college students leave. Uh, because we want our children to understand that they are the church and they're part of the church. And, and we don't create a separate middle school culture. We don't create a separate high school culture. And, and if you look carefully, what you'll see is that a lot of churches are building all these consumer-driven, demographic-driven cultures within their church. And then when young adults once they jump out of middle school ministry into high school ministry into maybe college ministry, once they leave home, they suddenly look around and they say, um, I don't fit into this church. 
but they were always there, and yet that's not their church. Their church was always something with only people their age, only things that fascinated them. And I, I really believe that the number one reason, and I think all kinds of studies from Christianity today and from different groups have shown that the number one thing your child needs is an adult, other than their parent, who takes a spiritual interest in them. And trust me, it shouldn't be only a youth pastor, because youth pastors come and go, college pastors come and go. Um, I think that if you want to do some um, preventative, and I guess would call it proactive versus reactive, a lot of parents are reactive. Once there is a problem, they think, I need to do something. We like to say to parents, be proactive. Start to think, what does your child's life look like? And so we want them to be, we want children and youth to be part of the church. I know the name of every child in our church. I know the name of every young person. Uh, we let our young people serve in as many ministries as, as they want to. And then they're part of a church, not a separate department of the church. I love that because it really focuses on not just that sense of mentoring and what it means to, to build men, to build women of God, but it really goes back to the core point that God has called us to do. And I think it's interesting. If you look in Scripture, the word Christian is mentioned maybe a dozen or so times. I don't know the exact number, but disciple and discipleship is mentioned hundreds of times. And that's what we're really called to do as believers is to disciple others. And clearly you're going to have that experience at the verse. Church. Services may begin at 10 a.m., but as you've eavesdropped on our conversation today with Pastor Dr. Mike Thorburn, uh, I'm sure you also would agree with me that there'll be nothing dull at all sitting under the teaching and pulpit ministry of Pastor Mike. So we invite you Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., the Vertical Church in San Jose. More information available on the web at verticalchurchsanjose.org. That's verticalchurchsanjose.org. And Pastor Mike Thorburn, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, Craig, really nice to talk with you. And uh, thanks, for, thanks, thanks for letting me blab on and on. And thanks for the question. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.